إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستوهره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we were in the chapter in Kitab al-Tawheed from Sahih al-Bukhari, the chapter that was talking about the names and attributes of Allah. And in particular, we were on the chapter discussing the attribute of the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We said before that we describe or we attribute to Allah that which Allah attributed to himself and that which the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam attributed to Allah. Nasifullah bima wasafa bihi nafsahu aw wasafahu bihi rasooluhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a manner that is befitting of the might and majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any descriptions or details without any imaginations or comparisons, without any resemblances to creation. But we affirm what Allah has affirmed for himself. For indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more knowledgeable of himself than other than him. He is more knowledgeable of himself and his names and his attributes. So that which Allah informs us of, then we affirm also. So from those that Allah has affirmed for himself from the attributes, is regarding the hands. And we were mentioning last time, how some of the people of innovation, they cannot accept this attribute along with other attributes. And the problem, it is rooted in the fact that they cannot remove from their heads the idea of resemblance. The people of innovation cannot remove from their heads the idea of resemblance. So when it comes to the hands of Allah, Allah says that he created Adam السلام, with his two hands and the other ayat that mention the hands of Allah. The people of innovation, they cannot grasp anything beyond the hands of creation. They cannot understand and their intellects cannot go beyond the resemblance to hands in creation. So you hear these people of innovation upon their foolishness, saying that if you affirm the hands of Allah, then you are affirming flesh and bones and skin. Nobody from Ahlul Sunnah has ever said that, because as we have said, we affirm the names and attributes of Allah. Because Allah has mentioned them for himself without us 
trying to make any comparison or resemblance. So the people of innovation, because they can't understand that, and they can't get their intellects beyond that, that you can affirm the names and attributes of Allah. In fact, that you must affirm the names and attributes of Allah, but without trying to imagine or good details or make resemblances, they can't do that. They say, if you affirm a hand, this is a hand. If you affirm eyes, these are eyes. We have said a million times, that is not the case. Hands of Allah, you affirm them as is befitting of the majesty of Allah. The eyes of Allah as is befitting of the majesty of Allah. Those same people of innovation, when you say to them, Is Allah as-sami' al-basir? Is Allah the all-hearing and the all-seeing? Does Allah have the attributes of hearing and seeing? They will say to you, of course, of course Allah hears everything and sees everything. So they affirm that Allah hears and sees. You say to them, if you affirm these attributes that Allah hears and Allah sees, then do we in creation not hear and see? Do we not have the attributes of hearing and seeing? The answer is yes, of course. We have the attributes of hearing and seeing. Those people of innovation, some from amongst them, who refuse to accept that Allah has hands or eyes as is befitting of His Majesty, will accept and say that Allah has the attribute of hearing and the attribute of seeing as is befitting of His Majesty, not like our hearing and seeing. In that case, you say to them, if you affirm these attributes to Allah, that Allah is Al-Alim, the all-knowing and knowledgeable, do we not have the attribute of knowledge to a degree? Yes, Allah is all-hearing. Do we not have the attribute of hearing to a degree? Yes. Allah is the all-seeing. Do we not have the attribute of seeing to a degree? Yes. So how do we affirm these to Allah? We affirm them that they are attributes of Allah as is befitting of Allah's majesty. Allah hears but not like how we hear. Allah sees but not like how we see. Allah is the knowledgeable but not like our knowledge. In the exact same way, Allah has hands, but not like our hands. Hands that are befitting of His Majesty. Allah has eyes, but not like our eyes. Eyes that are befitting of His Majesty. If you can accept that Allah hears and sees, you accept these attributes, and you know that they are as is befitting of His Majesty, then what is preventing you from accepting that Allah has hands and eyes as Allah told us that Himself about Himself. Just like He told us, He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing about Himself. You see that the people of innovation, they fall in to their methodology of selecting what they will accept and believe in and rejecting that which their intellects won't accept. 
That is the root of their misguidance. Their intellects can accept, okay, Allah is the all-hearing, the all-seeing. Has to be. How can Allah not hear everything and see everything? So we got to accept that. As is befitting of Allah's majesty. But eyes and hands, no, our minds can't work that one out. Eyes and hands, these are eyes and hands. That must be resemblance if you affirm that. So now the people of innovation, what do they have to do? Either make ta'atil, reject Allah's hands and eyes altogether, or make tahrif, distort the meanings of hands and eyes to something that will fit into their intellects. So when it comes to the hands of Allah, they will say that the hands of Allah, it actually just means the power. The power of Allah, the qudrah. Or it means, for example, the ability of Allah, the power of Allah, the ability of Allah, the blessings that Allah bestows upon us, they are the meanings of the hands of Allah. Not that Allah actually has any hands of whatever type they are, which is beyond our understanding and uh, beyond our comprehension. Hands that are befitting of His Majesty, eyes that are befitting of His Majesty, just like hearing and seeing, befitting of His Majesty. But they cannot understand that, so they try to distort the meanings. Or, if they cannot do any of that, they cannot reject outright, because then you'll say to them, how can you reject the ayat of the Qur'an? They cannot make tahrif, distort and alter, because then you will catch up with them and you will refute them when you start prodding into their interpretations and their understandings. Where have you got this interpretation that Allah's hands means power? Have you got it from any of the Salaf? Not a single one. And that is what we said before and the point we left off on last lesson that the asal, the default and the origin when it comes to the names and attributes, it is that they are left upon their default and original and apparent meaning. That is what they are left upon unless there is something to indicate a different meaning, then okay. That is the way language works. So now when somebody, like the example we gave, says to you, I was in the forest and I saw a lion, the default and the asal which is understood is the animal, the lion. Nobody's going to say that means you saw Muhammad, the brother, because everybody knows him as Muhammad, the lion. Nobody's going to understand that unless I give something which is a factor or some type of attribute that will then give you a context of a secondary meaning. I say, I saw the lion in the wood yesterday, and we sat for a while and we talked, etc. So now you may understand from that, okay, maybe he's talking about Muhammad. What do you mean you sat and talked for a while with, a, with an animal lion? So now that extra addition, that extra point I've made, indicates to you that I'm referring with my speech to a secondary meaning. I, I saw the lion yesterday in the forest, mashallah. He was there, we talked for a while, we sat for a while, we ate together. Now from that type of addition onto my speech, 
you can understand I'm not talking about the animal lying in the forest. I'm talking about Muhammad must be a person, a human, because of the context I put together with that statement. If that occurs, then okay. If it doesn't occur, then you have to remain with the default. I say to you, I was in the forest and I saw a lion. The default of that isn't the brother Muhammad, mashallah, as much of a lion as he may be. The default of that is the animal, the lion. Same with the names and attributes of Allah. The default is what is understood. If you have some context or additions or restrictions, fair enough. If you do not, then it is the default. And that is what the Salaf were upon. Amiruha kama ja'at. Leave those attributes, pass them by as they have come. How do you pass by something as it has come? Upon its default and original meaning. We know that's what the Salaf understood. We know. Because if they didn't understand the default and original, they would have made a point of it. They would have gone to the Prophet and said, does this particular attribute here actually mean the power? They would have gone and asked. Why would they have gone and asked? Because now that would be a secondary meaning to the word. So if you now want to apply a secondary meaning to the word, they would have inquired. Is it the case that the secondary meaning applies here? If that never arose, that issue never occurred, and they were sticking to the original meanings, that's when they wouldn't have asked about those things. Why is it that we don't really have narrations of the Sahaba going to the Prophet ﷺ, multiple narrations, Ya Rasulullah, what does this attribute mean? What does that attribute mean? Does the hands mean this? Does the eyes mean that? How come we don't have that? That is a proof for something. How come we don't have those types of narrations? Because the Salaf saw these ayat and left them upon their original and default and that is what was understood and there was nothing else to ask about. Only if they wanted to go away from the default onto secondary meanings, now it would have required that they go and ask the Prophet ﷺ, here it says such and such, but does it mean X, Y, and Z instead? Then they would have gone and asked about these things. The fact that they never did is a proof for the methodology of Ahl Sunnah that the affair was left upon its asal. The affair was left upon its origin. That's one of the major, what you could call with the people of innovation, logical proofs. As Shaykh al mentions it, as a principle, when the people of innovation come to you and they say, no, the hand, it means power. They say to you, if you want to say that the hand means actual hand in reality, as is befitting of the majesty of Allah, prove to me where the Salaf, they said that. What do you say to them when they bring that type of argument to you? Prove to me that the Salaf, they believed the hands of Allah mean actual hands in reality, as is befitting of the majesty of Allah. Where did the Salaf believe that? Prove it to me. How are you going to prove it to them? What's the principle? The absolute opposite. You say to them, no, it is not upon me to prove that. As a Sheikh Al-Albani said, when they come to you with questions, you have to fix fix their question for them first. They don't know what question they're asking. You have to tell them what question they're supposed to be asking 
what they are trying to ask because they don't know. Then you can give them the answer. So now you say to him, no, it's not upon me to prove that the Salaf believe this. That is the default. And the Salaf were upon the default. If you want to say they moved away from the default onto a secondary meaning, then that's not upon me. The onus isn't upon me. The onus is now upon you to prove that the Salaf, they took secondary or tertiary meanings for these names and attributes. That's not for me to prove. As far as I'm concerned, I'm on the default. It's like now the example of the statement, I was in the wood yesterday and I saw a lion. Somebody says, well, of course, he means a lion. He was in the jungle, a lion, an animal. Somebody says, no, what if he was talking about Muhammad, the brother? Everybody calls him Muhammad, the lion. And he says, well, if you're telling me he meant an animal, prove it to me he meant that. You can reply and say, he went to a jungle, he said. He saw a lion, he said. The default meaning and understanding of that is the animal. You want to say that it meant Muhammad, it's upon you to give me some proof or some context of that. Otherwise, I am upon the default. That is very simple. The third point we were going to make then, after all of that, some of the people of innovation, they cannot reject the names and attributes of Allah. They are no longer able to make tahrif when you start giving them all of these explanations. So the only thing left now for these people of innovation is what they refer to as tafwil. They say, okay, we don't reject the names and attributes, even though in reality they are. We don't distort them, even though again, in reality they are. They say we are only making tafwil. We believe. Allah says he has hands in the Quran. We believe. Allah has hands. But what that means, we have absolutely no idea. We cannot say Allah has hands like actually has hands in reality as a befitting of his majesty. We can't say that. This is the people of innovation. We can't say that. All we can say is Allah says he has hands in the Quran. Okay, we affirm that. But we don't affirm anything more than that. So then what are you affirming in reality? It's like now, linguistic things to understand. A man says to you on the car, there are wheels. Do you believe that? Do you affirm that? You say, okay, I affirm. The manual says there are wheels on the car, four of them, and a spare in the boot. I affirm that. So then you say to the man, okay, so the car has got four wheels that it can go around on. He says, no, I don't know that. I don't know. Allah alam. I don't know if the car's got, you know, four wheels that it moves on, but the manual says it's got wheels. I believe it's got wheels. Okay, brother, so the car has wheels, it moves on. Uh, no, I don't know that. I can't say that. That's basically tafweed. That is basically tafweed of the people of innovation. Allah says he has hands. Yes, we affirm. So Allah has hands as a befitting of his majesty. We can't imagine it resemble. No, that I don't know. So then what are you affirming? What are you affirming then? What are you affirming in reality other than, like we've said, sounds only? You're affirming sounds. In the manual it says the car has something called wheels. You say, okay, I affirm the car has something called wheels. That sound, that word, I affirm it to the car. What does it mean then the car has some type of wheel and something that we recognize as a wheel? 
That I don't know. But I affirm the word wheel. So what does the word wheel mean? Have absolutely zero understanding whatsoever. So then what have you affirmed in reality? Absolutely nothing. Your car's not going anywhere. You've affirmed nothing. You've affirmed nothing in reality. It is just a way for the people of innovation to get out of having to affirm the attributes of Allah. We know that isn't the way of the Salaf. The people of deviation try and make you think that is the way of the Salaf. That the Salaf used to say, okay, Allah says he has hands, we say Allah has hands. Anything more than that? Nothing. We can't say anything else. They tried to convince you this is the way of the Salaf. The Salaf didn't go into describing. You say you're right. The Salaf didn't go into any resemblance. You say yes, you're right. The Salaf didn't make any imagination. Yes, you're right. So they say that's what it means. The Salaf affirmed the word, but didn't go beyond that whatsoever. That is false. The Salaf affirmed the attributes, the words, and had an affirmation of their generic understanding. Meaning, for example, Al-Istiwa. The attribute that Allah rises above the throne. ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ Then Allah rose above the throne. So we know of this attribute of Allah rising above the throne. Or in the last third of the night, يَنزِلُ رَبُّنَا إِلَى سَمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا فِي الثُلُثِ الْأَخِيرِ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ In the last third of the night, Allah descends to the lowest heaven. So now, with Al-Istiwa, that Allah rises above the throne, we affirm Al-Istiwa, absolutely we affirm it, it's in the Qur'an. We also affirm an understanding of what Al-Istiwa is, which is that Allah rose above and ascends above the throne. That is what Al-Istiwa generally means. Details of how Allah does that, that is where the door closes. But Allah says He ascends and rises above the throne. Do we affirm that or not? Absolutely. People of innovation, we affirm the word al-istiwa, but no more. Does Allah then actually rise above and ascend? That we don't know. Then what are you affirming? Nothing. We affirm the word and the attribute and the general meaning of it. That we understand that Allah says He rose above, ascended. So Allah rose above and ascended. In the last third of the night, Allah says He descends to the lowest heaven. We have an understanding that Allah descends to the lowest heaven. How does Allah descend? What are the details? How does that happen? That is where the door is closed. But Allah descends to the closest heaven to the earth and says, who's making dua? I will answer it. Do we believe that? Absolutely. So you believe in the meaning. You believe in the overall meaning. Details of how that occurs and the, the descriptions, the how we don't know. That is the aqidah of the Salaf. That's why and Imam Malik made that famous statement. When he was teaching on one occasion, <coughs> when he was teaching on one occasion, and he was mentioning about al-istiwa, so somebody walked in and they said, Kaifa al-istiwa, kaifa yastawi? That how does Allah ascend? It's mentioned in some of the narrations that Imam Malik became angered and his face became red and sweating from the anger of what this man was trying to do. And then he mentions in the narration that he said to them, Al-Istiwa is ma'loom. 
and istiwa Allah ascending and rising above that is something which is understood that Allah arises and ascends above he is the most high that we understand al istiwa ma'lum it is known but then wal kayfu majhul how does Allah do that that's where we stop and we don't know how does Allah ascend how does that occur we don't know but Allah ascends and rises above yes we affirm that we know that that's ma'lum how does Allah do that that is majhul that we don't know but then he goes on to say al-imanu bihi wajib even though we don't know how that happens to have iman in these attributes, these names, attributes generally, it is wajib. Allah tells you He rises above. Obligatory, you must have iman in that. How does that happen? We don't know. But you must have iman in Allah ascending and rises above. And then the fourth point He mentioned asking questions about it. How does Allah do that? And last third of the night, how does Allah descend somewhere on the earth? Somewhere on the earth is always the last third of the night. So is Allah always descending and how does it work? That how the door is closed. But Allah descends to the lowest heaven and says, who is calling upon me? Absolutely, and we affirm that. So the meaning, the, the word and the meaning is affirmed. Allah descends to the lowest heaven, affirm that, believe in that. Allah rises above. He is the most high, affirm that, believe in that. Not like the people of Tafweed, Allah says He descends, okay, we believe in that. So Allah descends in the last part of the night then, as is befitting of His Majesty, we don't know how, but that happens. I, I don't know. I don't know if it happens, but I believe in it. How? The people of Tafweed are not upon the Aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Tafweed is one of the branches of the beliefs of the Ashairah. That is what they are upon, these people who call themselves Hanafi. The, the ones who say we are Hanafi. They are upon the Aqeedah of the Ashairah and the Maturidiyah. They are their main branches. And this is the main type of belief which is being spread apparently these days. The Diyubandiyah of this time, of the Darul uh, Ulum, the center of Islamic sciences, the great center of Islamic sciences, it would appear that they are upon the, the branch of tafweed, that they want to prescribe that the belief of Ahlul Sunnah is you believe in the word because it's in the Quran, you can't reject that. Allah says, I created Adam bi yadayya, with my two hands. They can't reject the word, it's in the Quran. So okay, we believe in the word, we affirm the word. Anything more than that? Absolutely no idea, no idea. But it's, it's there in the Quran, we'll just say, okay, that word is legitimate, it's in the Quran, has absolutely no meaning for us. That is not the belief of Ahlul Sunnah. If that was the belief of Ahlul Sunnah, it means that you're saying that the Prophet wasallam did he have an understanding of the general meaning of these attributes or not? If you say he didn't, then you're ascribing ignorance to the best of creation. That the Prophet ﷺ didn't have a clue what these ayat and these names and attributes meant. That's not correct. You cannot ascribe ignorance to the Prophet ﷺ, the one who was given the revelation. 
and the Sahaba and the Salaf, you are ascribing ignorance to them all. They all used to read the Quran and these words and they didn't have a clue what it was. Okay, believe in it, it's there, but we haven't got a clue. That is what you're ascribing to the Prophet and the Sahaba. That cannot be the case. In that case, they might say, okay, well, the Prophet knew. He knew. In that case, you're ascribing to the Prophet that he concealed this knowledge from us. He knew what these attributes and names, etc. mean, but he concealed that knowledge from the Ummah. That's why we have to sit here and do tafweed. That we believe in the word and nothing more, we have no idea. Because the Prophet apparently knew but didn't tell us. Completely false again. So what are you going to do? Either you're going to say the Prophet was reading the Quran, these words were coming across him. The Sahaba were reading the Quran, these words were coming across them, and they didn't have a clue. You're ascribing ignorance to them. Or you're going to say, well, they knew. In that case, you're ascribing concealment of knowledge to them. Neither of which can be correct. So you see, when you delve into these affairs of the names and attributes and the principles of Ahl Sunnah regarding them, it becomes very clear and it becomes very obvious. Allah has told us certain things about Himself in the Quran, in the Sunnah. We affirm what Allah has told us about Himself. We have a general understanding of the meaning of those things. It is not like Allah has put things into the Quran which are completely meaningless to us. All these names and attributes about Himself are completely meaningless to us. That is not the case. Allah did not give us this Quran in a way where we have absolutely no idea of what is being said about our Creator. Yes, Allah said, وَمَا أُوتِيتُ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You've not been given from knowledge except a small amount. Okay, we have not been given a large amount. That's why we've not been given the how of all of these attributes. How are the hands of Allah? How does Allah descend? How is this? How is that? We don't know. We've not been given that knowledge. But we do have the general meaning. Anybody who says, no, you can't. The hands of Allah cannot mean actual uh, or hands in reality as is befitting of Allah. It can't mean that. And eyes cannot mean that Allah has eyes in reality as are befitting of His Majesty. You cannot say that. Upon their aqidah, then they are saying, if you read the Quran and take it upon its apparent as it is, then that is kufr. According to them, the zahirul Quran is kufr. What is apparent of the Qur'an is kufring in that case upon that aqeedah. The Qur'an says, I create, Allah says, I created Adam with my two hands. The default meaning of the hands, we know what hands is, it's not power, it's not ability, hands are hands. Of course, with Allah, as is befitting of His Majesty, without any comparison, imagination, anything. But according to them, if you say that, then you have committed kufr. If you say that, according to them, it's kufr. So all of the names and attributes of Allah upon their default meanings, upon their apparent as they are, the way of the Salaf, all of that is kufr according to them. You have to go to secondary meanings. You have to go to something else, otherwise it's kufr. If you can't do that, and you refute them for going to secondary meanings and they can't prove themselves, then they say, okay, tafwil. We'll just leave it to Allah, consign the meaning to Allah, we haven't got a clue. 
Still you're wrong. Now you are rejecting the apparent of the Quran. So in any way the people of innovation, whatever they bring, it is rebuked. And that's why when you go into the details of Aqidah, and you start learning those principles regarding the names and attributes, it becomes clear the way of Ahlul Sunnah is the way of the truth. And that's why, you remember we mentioned in Leeds a while back, in Leeds we have a gathering maybe a quarter of the size of this, 20 brothers or so, for the last few years in a small hall that we've been hiring out, 10, 15, 20 brothers coming together studying. But when the people of innovation discovered that Ahlul Sunnah are teaching this Aqidah, then they were burnt from the very beginning. And we did not even know of where they are, what their existence, who they are. But us, 10 or 15, and they have a mosque there, which is apparently the biggest in Leeds or close to it, several thousand capacity. They can sit there and have classes on a Jumu'ah with 2,000 people. We sit there with 20 people, yet the fear it causes them, knowing that the Aqidah of Ahl Sunnah is being taught, and their ways of innovation will become clearly exposed. That is what causes them the problems there and elsewhere, everywhere. And that is why when the Prophet ﷺ mentioned about this Ummah splitting up into the 73 sects, those sects, the asal of that splitting, it was from the roots of Aqidah. From the roots of Aqidah, it's not about Raf'ul Yadain or anything else. It was from the roots of Aqidah that the groups of deviation, they went astray in this point of Aqidah, that point of Aqidah. And the majority was on the point of names and attributes. So here the Shaykh he mentions that if you try and say that the hands of Allah actually means power, for example, that could not possibly be correct. <coughs> because previously we've explained the hands of Allah comes sometimes in the singular form it's mentioned, sometimes in the dual, sometimes in the plural. We explained all of that and it comes down to being dual. So now if you say the hands of Allah means the powers of Allah, does Allah only have two powers? Allah is limited to two powers. Where have we learned this from that Allah has two powers? What are these two powers? Is that all Allah has? It's completely false. Completely false. If you say that the hands of Allah means the blessings of Allah. Allah only has two blessings. They say the same about Allah descending in the last third of the night. It's not Allah who descends. It's the angels of Allah that descend. But then in the hadith it says, Allah descends and says, Who is seeking my forgiveness and I will forgive you? Do the angels come and say that to us? Seek our forgiveness, we'll forgive you. The angels are the ones we make dua to and they will forgive us. Shirk cannot be the angels coming and saying that. They say, no, it is the mercy of Allah that comes down. The mercy of Allah only comes in the last third of the night. The rest of the night and the rest of the day we are merciless from Allah. Again, completely false. Everything they bring from the people of deviation, from their misguidances and their interpretations, every one of it is broken apart. Every one of it is completely refuted from the time of the Salaf. As Imam Ahmed said, when the people of innovation, they began increasing in their deviations, and they began becoming bold in their spread of deviations and innovations. Al-Imam Ahmed said, zadu zidna. When they started to become bold and spread and start to become vocal, 
when they started to increase in their innovations and spreading of them, we increased in our clarification and refutation of them. When they increased in their spreading of deviation, we increased in our refutations and in clarification of their deviations. And like that from the time of the Salaf until our time, the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah have rebuked and refuted the false aqidah of the people of deviation. So here we see clearly that it is not any type of interpretation, any type of power or blessing or other than that. Rather, it is an affirmation of hands, of two hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a befitting of His Majesty without any imagination or any type of description or anything in your minds that is beyond us. As a befitting of the Majesty of Allah, we say. Then uh, uh, some issues, they come here. He says, اِئْتُوا لَنَا بِنَصٍ ظَاهِرٍ عَنِ الصَّحَابَ أَنَّهُمْ قَالُوا الْمُرَادُ بِالْيَدِ الْيَدُ الْحَقِيقِيَّةِ This point we mentioned, if some of the people of innovation come to you, and they say, prove to us that the Salaf, they believed that the hands of Allah means hands in reality. As is befitting of the majesty of Allah, but hands in reality. Prove to us the Salaf, they meant that. We say to them, no, we will not bring you anything. They recited the Quran and the narrations are mutawatir. Not a single thing has come from them that they ever understood anything away from the default. And they were pure Arabs who understood the meanings of things. So if nothing has come from them, indicating that they understood anything away from the apparent, then the apparent is what they understood. And that is what we are upon. إِذْ كَيْفَ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَلَا يَتَجَاوَزُونَ عَشْرَ آيَاتٍ لَا تَعْلَمُوهَا وَمَا فِيهَا مِنَ الْعِلْمِ وَالْعَمَلِ There are narrations from the Salafi says that they used to say that they never used to go beyond ten ayat of the Qur'an until they understood those ayat and the meanings of them and they acted upon them. How are you going to tell us they didn't understand the names and attributes or nothing and they used to carry on? Rather, they used to say ten ayat at a time, and we understood them and acted upon them before moving on. So they were upon those clear meanings. And so it is not upon us to have to bring proof for every single attribute that the Sahaba understood the default. Because the default is that they understood the default. If you want to say anything else, it's upon you to bring me the proof. That the Sahaba understood the hands to mean power. Or they understood Allah descending to mean the angels descending. That's upon you to bring. Because that is now an interpretation away from the origin. The origin Allah says he descends. Allah descends. Allah says he rose above the throne. Allah rose above and ascended. That is the default. Anything other than that. Upon you to show me the proof. فَإِنْ قَالَ قَائِلْ إِنَّ قَوْلَهُ تَعَالَى بَلْ يَدَاهُ مَبْسُوطَتَانِ 
لم يبين فيها أن الله أن لله يدا يمنى وله يدا شمالا فماذا تقولون هل تقولون إن الله ليس ليس له إلا يدان وتسكتون أو تقولون له يد يمنى وشمال أم ماذا تقولون Now then another issue the Sheikh brings up here so we've said with the narrations the conclusion is there are two hands of Allah two hands of Allah two right hands two left hands one right hand one left hand what do we say about that issue or do we not say anything what do we say when they bring up these topics okay two hands are they two right hands or does Allah have a left hand a right hand and a left hand or how does that work what do you say then the Sheikh says, "Nakulu kama qala al-Nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kilta yadayhi yameen. That both of the hands of Allah are right hands. Fahada bin nisba ila adam ikhtilaf kulli yadin an al-ukhra. Lakin warada al-tasrihu bil-shimal min hadith ibn Umar al-lazhi akhrajahu muslim fi sahihihi wa dhakarahu al-Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab fi kitab al-Tawheed wa stakhraja al-masail min al-dala'il وقال من جملة المسائل التصريح بالشمال الله عز وجل وعلى هذا فالجمع بين هذه الرواية وبين قول كلتا يديه يمين أن نقول هما يدان يمين وشمال لكن لا تختلفان كما تختلف أيدي المخلوقين بالنسبة لليمنى والشمال بل كلتاهما يمين مباركة فكلتاهما فيها الخير والعطاء فإن الله سبحانه وتعالى يده ملأ صحاء الليل والنهار نعم so if somebody brings up this topic, what we say to them is that there is a narration that says both of the hands of Allah are right hands. But then there is also a narration in Sahih Muslim, Hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah, which affirms a left hand, that it's a right hand and a left hand. But this narration we have says, Both his hands are right hands. So now if somebody from the people of innovation or otherwise brings up this topic and they says, okay, you got two narrations now. One saying both of the hands of Allah are right hands. The other one saying that there's a right and a left. So now what do you do? So the Sheikh says the explanation of this is, in one narration, it affirms right and left. It's affirmed. So we affirm that it is a right and a left as is befitting of the majesty of Allah. But then how do we explain that the two hands are right hands? That is put together, as we said, in context. If something indicates something, then okay. In all of the context of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a very simple principle. Is there any deficiency ever associated to Allah? Never. You do not associate any deficiency to Allah ever. Subhanallah means exactly that. That there is no attribution of deficiency to Allah whatsoever. Glory be to Allah as they say. Meaning of that, that may Allah be far removed from any deficiency. In creation now when we talk about right hand and left hand, then we're talking about a stronger hand and a weaker hand everybody has a stronger hand which is typically the right hand for most and then the left hand being the weaker hand on top of that in the sunnah we know that the right hand is the noble hand that you do the affairs of nobility with 
and the left hand is the hand that is used for the other affairs, cleaning yourself after the toilet, blowing your nose out, etc. So in creation we have a concept of the stronger hand, the noble hand, and the weaker hand, and the hand that takes care of the affairs of cleanliness, etc. That is how it is in creation. Therefore in creation, in reality, one of our hands is the deficient hand. That would never be attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the meaning of Allah's hands are both right hands, indicating that they are both hands of nobility. Neither one of them is any deficient to the other. Neither any one of them has anything less than the other. Both of the hands of Allah are upon the absolute perfection of nobility. Hence described as that both hands of Allah are right hands. Even though the narration mentions a right and a left, that other narration saying Allah's hands are both right hands is so that you understand that there is no deficiency being meant that Allah has a right hand and a left hand. Because in creation the meaning of that which we understand is a deficiency, the right and then the left. So the narration about Allah's hands are both right hands is to highlight to you that don't be confused when you see the narration that there is a right and a left that one of the hands of Allah is a weaker hand. It is not. Both of the hands of Allah are upon that absolute perfection as the right hand is. That they are both right hands in that regard, in absolute perfection and nobility, and there is no weaker hand of Allah, there is no weakness, as we in creation have that. Hence, therefore, yes, it is a right and a left, but they are both in their characteristic, in their, the way that Allah describes himself as, as right hands, meaning neither has any deficiency in them whatsoever. That is the way a Shaykh Al-Thameen here explains that point. So both of the hands of Allah are blessed. Both of them are filled with goodness and giving, and there is no deficiency in either whatsoever. That is where that narration comes to an end. Uh, the next hadith is a long one. We'll begin that one next time. <coughs> Still talking about the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and some additional attributes on top of that. But the beginning of this lesson, those principles that we speak about all of the time, that is the key. If you understand those principles properly, then all of these narrations about the different names and attributes apply into those principles. So if you understand the principles carefully, it will make it easy to understand all of this. The statement of Imam Malik is basically a principle statement in this affair. Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Abbad has an explanation on that statement. A book explaining that statement. Uh, maybe a couple of hundred pages big. If you get that book, it's a very suitable, very beneficial book talking about the principles, the qawaid and the usul regarding the names and attributes and it is based upon an explanation of the statement of Imam Malik. A hundred, two hundred pages book. So if you can get that, it will be very suitable and it highlights to you the basis of what you need to understand with all of the names and attributes of Allah. So we'll conclude upon that for today then. Next two Saturdays, my class is off. If anything else is put in place, etc., Allah alam. But my class will now be off for two weeks uh, for traveling. 
And then after that, inshallah ta'ala, we'll come back on the third Saturday from now then to carry on with this. Which will be... 19, 24th? 24th of Feb. We will resume this class on the 24th of February. There may be other classes going on on Saturdays in, in the next two weeks coming, but we will carry on with this on the 24th of Feb now, inshallah. Uh, it'll be around about the same time, whatever time Isha is then, 8, 8.15, it'll be roughly the same time, but follow the social media for the masjid to know the exact details. Any questions then before we round off? Um, there's quite a few hadith where the Prophet mentions so do we um, what do we believe about that do we believe that the Prophet's soul is actually in the hands of Allah or is, is that or is there a separate meaning to that uh, that will uh, your question is one week early uh, or three weeks early now <laughs> the next hadith discusses this to a degree about how everything is in the hands of Allah etc that narration comes up so perhaps with this hadith about the statement you see often, nafsi biyadihi, that by him whom my soul is in his hand. It's an oath. And what is the exact understanding and meaning of that? The next narration will highlight it to a degree. So read up in advance, I mean three weeks inshallah. So, um, regarding the Muqawwid one, mm. if you were to talk, not that we debate with them, but if you were to talk to them um, about the issue of Tafwid, would they in English say we affirm hand but what it means we don't know or would they say we affirm yed on, on what it means we don't know because if the, if they say hand <coughs> is that not a refutation of them anyway because they've now acknowledged that yed has a meaning which is hand other than just the sound perhaps yeah I mean you're right when they when they talk about it when their their knowledgeable ones are explaining they'll use this Arabic vocabulary They'll use Arabic vocabulary, you're right. Uh, but uh, it's not a major issue. If they were to uh, use the word hand, it wouldn't be a primary source of refutation on them for the English translation of the word. But the actual thing, what they do in their principle is, 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 is gone already. Yad, all they are affirming is that sound. Yad has absolutely no meaning for them. Conclude there then, inshallah ta'ala, we'll carry on from the next session.